Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Health Tech Pigeon podcast, where we break down the news and health tech every single week. And this week, we are celebrating, like everybody else, 75 years of the NHS. And we are therefore joined by what couldn't be a better guest to join us in this conversation, Conrad, who is the National Director of the NHS Innovation Accelerator and Chief Enterprise Officer at UCL Partners. He has worked all across the healthcare ecosystem, taking roles with pharma and with the health system as well. And so I am really excited to hear what he has to say and his reflections about the last 75 years of the NHS. So welcome. Thank you so much, Jess. Um, It's really, really great to be here today. And you know, the the reflection is, uh, I overheard somebody saying the other day when they were talking about going to Westminster Abbey uh, for the 75th birthday yesterday, the sort of tongue-in-cheek question was raised, well, is this a celebratory service or memorial service? And the the question is, is it? We've done 75 years and there there is indeed um, a lot to celebrate. There is to celebrate that people still work in the NHS. Um, that people still want to serve patients and that we still have people training up as nurses and doctors. And that's what I want to celebrate. Where it becomes a memorial service, potentially, is that we need to drive change from within and we need to allow change from outside into the NHS. And let's not forget, the NHS is a variety of entities, primary care, secondary care, various delivery bodies, and what unifies them is the blue and white logo. The rest, they are pretty much independent. So there is no one single NHS body. And that's why I think we just need to be aware of these um, sort of restrictions um, in our thinking, because they then allow for for opportunity when we want to make the NHS um, an even better place and have it another 75 years. Yeah. And it's interesting you talk about you know, is it a celebration or a memorial? Because I think there's a real dichotomy of timing here where we are celebrating all the incredible things that come with the NHS and that it's achieved and done for us as individuals and as a country for the last 75 years at the same time as having junior doctors and nurses and consultants all striking and waiting lists at an all-time high and what ultimately seems to be a system on its knees. And, it, it, you know, it's, I guess it's a bit, it's bittersweet, isn't it? That, you know, we've, we've lasted this long, it's done some incredible things, but it, I think it, it's never been clearer that the time for change is now. And, mm. you know, as you rightly say, we need to be open to that change coming from outside as well as inside and, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's an interesting time, I think, to be having this conversation. So I just want to pick up on that. The, the NHS as a sort of this imaginary entity gets sort of beaten over the head quite a lot. And, and for, for all its sort of, you know, issues and, and fragility as well. And, there, you know, as I said, there are, there are lots of things to celebrate. But we have to look at how we can drive change so that we can still serve patients um, the way they need it. And it's a whole ecosystem that is that is really challenged here. It's um, the academic health and science networks, which is the in future the health innovation networks from, from September onwards. 
it's central and it's just England and, and colleagues there go through a lot of change right now um, as well, right? There's a lot of um, cuts going on, uh, 30, 40, 40% of people have been let go as well. So there, there is a huge, uh, humongous change going on there. And of course, I mean, um, and I'm not here today to talk about pay for, for doctors and nurses. Um, I'm, what I'm here today to talk about is how we can, for example, health tech uh, can help uh, drive that change and what we actually, how we can actually empower nurses and junior doctors more to do their jobs, dare I say, more efficiently in a manner that they can still do it in 10, 20 years. Can I ask you a quick question, comrade? So on, on your background, Jess mentioned that you've worked across the healthcare ecosystem and now obviously coming into the NHS. You've obviously had some interesting reflections in like, I mean, you mentioned there that the NHS is an imaginary entity. That's an interesting phrase, a collection of organizations that are united by a logo. It's a similar reflection I had the more I got into it. You know, I've worked in HSNs, I've worked at the Digital Health at London Accelerator, I've done these things. But I'm, I'm so coming from pharma and actually a role in innovation in the private sector and then coming into the NHS. So clearly you've you've got, as we all do, like a love for the NHS and what it's expected to do. I've noticed over 75 years of the NHS, the remit of what it's expected to do has increased and increased and increased as people are living longer, people are expecting higher standards of health and all these different things. But you've now come from from an from industry with all of your knowledge of industry and how private sector organizations work, how they innovate, how they change, how they do all those things. What have you noticed in taking a role at the top of the NHS here with a remit to innovate? You know, the, the NHS Innovation Accelerator. Uh, like UCL partner, like an AHSN, a health innovation network, you know, all, all these innovation roles within the NHS. I'm interested in your reflections of coming from pharma and the, from industry into now the NHS. Like what are the, what's the difference here? Or like, what do you see the job as, or what are the initial chat? Like talk to me about that a little bit. James, that that's a, an extremely pertinent question. Actually one that's, um, it's been uh, going around my head for the last last few weeks, um, really, as I'm diving more and more into the ecosystem. So there's a lot of similarity when you think about pharma and, and NHS innovation. Number one, things take a tremendous amount of time. Mm. And sometimes for the right reasons, you know, um, you could have uh, patient safety, ethics, and, and that stuff is just extremely important. And we should never forget that. Um, we don't want to uh, jump the gun, um, pardon the pun, um, on, on certain things, even if they're health tech, um, because you don't want to risk any patient's well-being. So for starters, but that's that's not the only reason why, why things take so long um, on both sides of the aisle. I think there is a there's a certain culture and actually uh, Masood, um, CCIO of the, in the black country, um, ICS, if I'm getting his title now right, uh, Masood Ahmed, a good friend of ours, he, he keeps saying, well, it's about culture and people. And it is. If I have to get five sign-offs to progress with an idea, I'm not going to do it. And again, pharma, pharma and NHS. Both sides. Well, ultimately, what you end up with, James, is you end up in a in a space where 
the risk of doing nothing is lower than the risk of doing something. <laughs> and that's, that's a cultural problem. And again, both sides of the aisle. So what you need on both mm. sides is people that bring two skill sets. Number one, a certain amount of ignorance. And that doesn't mean negatively ignor being ignorant, but ignoring a lot of the music around them. And an innovator mindset. I don't know if you guys know about, it's called the Innovator DNA. It's a really good article in the, in the Harvard Business Review. And there are some skills like uh, connecting, observing, and some of them you just individually need to bring to the fore. And one of the biggest ones you need to bring is uh, resilience, um, which goes together with that sort of slightly bullish word of ignorance. And that you need that on both sides. You know, navigating the, the NHS now through um, the NIA as well as through user partners is nowhere near different in trying to get something done in Novartis or Pfizer. The only difference is, that's the only one, is that pharma, the heart is where the PL is, i.e., you're driving a commercial agenda. And in the NHS, you're driving at most an efficiency agenda, which could be tied to commercials. That's sort of the, the observations. And lastly, James, there, there is a humongous amount of people that really, really want to do something. Yeah. But I tell you what, they, they can't. You mentioned the risk of doing nothing is lower than the risk of doing something. That is a beautiful phrase because actually that really eloquently explains the last thing that you just said, which is that there are people that want to do something, but they can't. And I really feel this. And I felt this for 10 years when I've tried to innovate in various different places from various different vantage points that ultimately it comes down to risk appetite. The risk of doing nothing is lower than the risk of doing something, which actually stifles the people that are just trying because they just run up against so many brick walls. So where you've, have you seen that change? And is that what you're trying to change? And if so, how? So yeah, we're trying to change that. Um, and, and that's with, um, um, I, I have to say um, now with, um, after some, some convincing, but that is together with um, some of the uh, chief execs of the HSNs as well. And here I'm just gonna point out Gary Ford as well and Chris Lang um, in particular of UCL partners, but there are many more, Nicole up, up in Link, uh, Nicola, sorry, up, up in Link and then others. They're, they're now true sort of, true allies and believers that, that we're going to have to drive the change and we're going to have to be the driver of change. Otherwise, we're going to be driven out. And it, mm. as HSNs, and bear in mind, the NIA is hosted by an HSN, so I've, uh, I have a two-hat role, which I'm extremely grateful for that this, this exists. Um, but ultimately, um, what, what we're doing now is looking at um, proactively setting up pipeline approaches. Um, how can HSNs as well as the NIA um, work together better with system in actually feeding mature solutions mm -hmm. through the system and frankly, getting them nationalized and nationalized sounds like socialism. Uh, it is um, <laughs> because, because I, what, what I want is three prompt solutions being available for all 42 ICSs and that's it. Yeah. You can pick one out of the three yeah. and not a fourth or fifth. 
I spoke to um, I spoke to somebody yeah. yesterday. So I met somebody yesterday from a, a really uh, capable chap. Won't mention the company from South Africa. Um, really good guy, and and he said, and he's a he has an integration thing going, right? Um, random chat. But what he said, look, what I'm observing in the NHS, and he's new to the NHS, is all these entities are now setting up their sort of inter- integration, secondary care, patient flow systems. I tell you what, in five to 10 years, none of these ICSs will be able to talk to one another. None of these ICSs will be able to feed any data up nationally because it has become a hair pull. So what has been happened inadvertently with the institution of the 42 ICSs and the procurement empowerment there, which is now in place for a year, they made the monster bigger. And that's the problem. The key key here is... um, NHS England National Integrated uh, Care Records. Where is it? Um, it doesn't exist um, for various reasons, right? Um, politics, and I don't want to allude to that. Um, but um, we're only going to see uh, more divergence and more problems in probably in five years. So we need a national approach to health tech adoption in NHS England where mature solutions that have a certain gold standard are being implemented through the through the HSNs. And there are people who really want to do that, or ICS directly. And now comes the clue, where does the money come from? It's not new money, James. It's existing money. Mm-hmm. Because you will gain it through efficiencies, yeah. right? But one yeah. party here isn't playing ball at the moment, and that's industry. So where's pharma in this? Pharma needs to step up and contribute to the agenda for change in automation and health tech adoption in the NHS. Why? Because what we're doing every day in the NIA and all of the HSNs and all the other AAC programs is we're actually solving pharma's pain points, diagnostic, adherence, patient uh-huh. ID. We're doing it for them, right? Because we, we really want to do something for patients. That's what we're passionate about, but we're solving yeah. their problems. So you better, you better yeah. cough up, right? Um, dear pharma XX, that's you're going to have to do that. It's interesting you talk about the the I guess the centralisation of the NHS, and I know that it's something that some people are feel feel strongly opposed to and are quite resistant to. And one of the articles that I wanted to talk about was um, it's from Digital Health, and they're reporting that NHS England has set out the six plus one short term digital priorities. And there was a CDIO from um, a hospital in the north that commented on this, talking about the fact that how frequently NHS England jumps to conclusions, putting in place these policies and priorities without speaking to the people on the ground. Mm. And I think that's that's often a disconnect that we see and hear and, and how... What's your view of that disconnect and how significant it is and how do we overcome it with with okay. a more, I guess, unified and centralized NHS? So this is where some of the innovation programs that are there already uh, can come to the fore. Um, it is the NIA, it's the uh, Professor Tony Young Clinical Entrepreneurship Program, huge respect for him, we'll see what he's doing there. Um, other, other programs that are around uh, outside of sort of um, the Accelerated Access Collaborative, there's much more going on. And let's not forget the HSNs. These are all the so-called boots on the ground. 
that should be, in theory, listening to what's going on in the NHS, in the, in the ICSs, in the trusts on a local basis, getting demand signals, translating those demand signals into horizon scanning for solutions, um, listening to the SME, so small medium enterprises uh, of this world and large industry, um, and sort of building this, and I, my, I live in Venn diagrams in my head, um, building these Venn diagrams where you hit a need um, and you then solve something. And that's what we're doing in UCL Partner, for example, with the pipeline approach. We always start with the problem first. So problem co-creation mm -hmm. with system and or industry in the room. Uh, patients are involved through our strong PPIE program. Um, and that then really gives you the sort of a stable um a stable problem to work off, which everybody can agree on and rallies around. So that's all nice, okay? And it kind of starts to work, and I'm really proud of that. However, now comes the big however, because we have a regionalized NHS approach for regional and local delivery and even place delivery. So it goes place, place, region, something. I don't know, can't, can't remember now. But place is even smaller, right? Place could be just high barnet. That's a place. These insights that are collated, they get diluted on the way up, quote unquote. And it's not that, um, and I value her extremely highly, she got the toughest job in the world, uh, Amanda Pritchard. Um, it's not that she then um, sits there and looks at the insights, right? That's not how it works. Um, but what we're talking about is, an inside collation on a, on a regional local basis that gets diluted on the way up um, or over, whatever. And ultimately, and this is where people and culture comes in, people want to read, they want to read what they want to read and they want to understand what they want to understand. If an insight doesn't match what the program or the belief, the current belief is, the insight doesn't matter. So, and that, but that's not just the NHS, right? That was the same in, um, in pharma companies that I worked in, uh, even worse sometimes, um, because N very often equaled one in terms of insight. There was one CCIO or CEO of a, of a ICS. I, I need this. And then the whole company would jump up and down for about six weeks mm -hmm. until everybody realizes actually no. We're going to pay a huge amount of money for this. You know, talking about similarities here. I, I'm a strong believer in the NHS setting out uh, long-term visions, um, the long-term uh, workforce plan. It is, it has taken a long time to get there and it will take a long time to deliver us this. That's why it's called long-term. <laughs> um, but at least we have one. But, you know, long, long-winded answer now, the, the point is, that we have these boots on the ground, we have these insights, and in a more truly national approach to procurement, to a lot of other things, it's then easier um, to actually ingest these insights and, and make them work. Yeah, I guess it's about, as you say, it's about a unified approach, isn't it? And right. I wonder if there's also something about, communication is about a feedback loop, isn't it? And the people who are sharing their experiences and feeding this up the chain where as you say it gets diluted and you know you 
sometimes even the the insight itself doesn't matter but it's about also making sure that they do feel heard and that even if what comes out the other end looks different to how what they'd anticipated or they may not agree with it but actually if they feel heard in the first instance and recognize that their input has been taken into consideration i think that perhaps goes some way to unifying people um in the truest sense of the word and and moving us towards a a place where those who are perhaps more skeptical of a centralized nhs can be more on board the view is already that there is a central nhs but there isn't that's true that is true yeah so if everybody thinks we already have it why don't we just do it um you know so that that is the, so let me give an example. My back, I grew up in East Germany. We're going to do now a little, little bit personal, Conrad. So I grew up behind the Iron Curtain. Um, my dad, um, 1989, went on the streets in Leipzig as the first, one of the first people got arrested, arrested twice, beaten up by the police and the Stasi. Um, because of him, I'm here. What we had in East Germany, the one thing that was really good was we had a, um, a unified healthcare system and we had something called polyclinics. Um, where you go in and you get everything in one place. And that worked. Mm. And that worked really well. Um, Let's just forget about communism and socialism here for a second, right? Um, The core concept (laughs) worked. Um, We had Mm. one of the best child cares in in Europe. We had one of the lowest child mortality rates in East Germany. We had um, one of the most integrated healthcare systems um, and then after the reunion, it got all thrown away for whatever, you know, not whatever reason, capitalism probably. Um, and um, so that's something where people could learn from, right? And it's nothing to do with automation or health tech. It's just a different cultural approach to care. Yeah. And there's one thing that's going to happen, mm-hmm. like the uh, community uh, diagnostic centers, uh, which... God hopes are being set up speedily because that could be mm. a polyclinic like approach. I forgot what your question was, Jess. Sorry. Or oh, I interrupted you. It's okay. It was, it was a good, <laughs> no, that was a useful and I think interesting rabbit hole to go down. It's nice to hear a personal comrade. But yeah, I was just talking about how we can, I guess, close that loop so that some of the skeptics. Well, not the skeptics, I think it's probably unfair to label them in that way, but some of the people who have reservations and feel like they have experiences to share, they can mm. recognise that even if the outcome isn't what they wanted, that their experience has been taken on board. And I actually sometimes think that, you know, perhaps that's an impossible task because there are people who will, unless they see their experience reflected in an outcome, they won't believe that their experience has been taken on board. Um yeah, no, because I, not every, I agree. Not every experience can be, and not every idea is the right idea. Let me give an example. Um, we talk about, in your, in your introduction, you talked about um, the headline of NHS waiting times and uh, the backlog. Mm. So um, the number is seven and a half million that we keep reading. What if I were to tell you that about two million of these patients don't need to be seen? Um, that's, a, that's a finger in the air, right? Might be two and a half, might be 1.8. The reason for that is that they might, they, they've been, and I'm not talking about people that need cancer treatment or hip replacement. Um, really, that's not the case, but I'm talking about people that need an MRI, um, for, um, uh, for a brain tumor assessment or stroke assessment or whatever it is. 
um, they've been put on these pathways because they showed certain symptoms a year ago. They've been reported, they've been assessed, for example, for migraine, which you didn't have, and then they're on a pathway for that. They've never been asked again if they still have headaches. So they're now one of the people on the waiting list for an MRI. And they may not even take it because they got the letter and they were, I'm fine now. Why would I go? Um, you know, so um, just asking patients, um, and this is where platforms are important, and I talked about prompt solutions in the past. Um, we don't need, I, I don't want more apps. Let's just stop with more apps, okay? There is a lot already with web solutions um, that can be done. So that would truly empower patients to own their own healthcare, to tell, to work truly in conjunction with the healthcare system as a common partner. Basically, it's a mm. common, common law marriage. That's what this needs to be, um, where both mm. parties have the same rights. Um, and that's how we can change our healthcare system. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting you talk there about, you know, the waiting lists and I guess also patients being far more involved in their care than mm. perhaps they already are simply just by asking them questions. But of the, the six plus one um, priorities, though, that is two of them. So one of them is about optimizing wait lists using data. So not necessarily asking patients, uh, you know, additional questions, but using the data that we have to decide, I guess, how to prioritize those wait lists or if people should even be on them. Um, but also, I guess, making the NHS app as, you know, we've heard for a long time, the focal point of a patient's access to care and accessing their records and that kind of thing. But, you know, you, we also talked about EPRs earlier and, you know, how we talked about having having that rolled out and that hasn't happened yet. And so no. that, with having these as short-term priorities, it strikes me that lots of these things aren't actually new ideas no. and that they, they've been around for a while. And that there's some, I would say optimistic, from what I'm I'm reading, optimistic timelines for, for the rollout of some of this. Yeah. And yet we've been talking about them for a long time and they've not yet happened. And, it, you know, it makes you wonder whether or not actually this centralized approach might be the answer to more quickly rolling out some of these initiatives. Look, we need to we need to make a decision here. What what do we want the NHS to be for the next 75 years? Do we want the NHS to be the core deliver deliverer or the core vehicle for delivering care uh, in England? Or do we want to be the NHS to be an innovation entity? It can't be both. That's a great question. The innovation can come from, but the innovation can come from industry, right? Um, where collaboration can happen, large, small, whatever that is, to then integrate into the NHS. The NHS's task is to deliver care. That's at least my point of view, and care excellence. Mm -hmm. This other stuff around it is a distraction. Industry can do this really well. I'm not talking about the Americanization of the NHS. God forbid. That's not what I mean. Okay, let's not open all the floodgates here. That's really not the point. But we're asking the NHS as a system that's been around for all this time to reform itself from within. And that's impossible. You can't do that. Mm. It's like a train that going, uh, like a bullet train in Japan. And you want to change the wheel whilst it's going 220 miles an hour. Impossible. 
with a thousand with a thousand people on board. So you're going to have to get the train into a station and have somebody that knows how to change wheels do it. That's how we that's how we can how we can uh, do it. So delivery of care, let the innovation do other people, and let have them also a commercial focus around it because without commercial focus, no innovation. Edison would have wouldn't have stolen all the ideas around the light bulb and his system if we wouldn't have uh, a commercial driver around it, right? One element I do want to talk about quickly is we've got a huge health and care disparity in the UK overall. So, for example, and COVID has really highlighted this, there are areas, and I really don't like to call them disparate, I want to call them less fortunate areas because in many respects, it's nobody's fault being born in a certain area into a certain social setting. So they're less fortunate than people that are, for example, of white color, middle class, born in Clapham, right? Mm. Um, so let's just get that straight. And the, we're working with the great uh, Professor Bola Ovalabi and, and Dr. Habib from the Race and Health Observatory as well. Um, and the NIA is currently supporting them in identifying solutions that can help de-bias scoring in the NHS. The NHS over the years, um, again, the collection of logos from a systemic standpoint has been geared towards white people. And there is systemic racism in assessing, and I'm going to call this racism, in assessing people of color and risk stratifying them for certain diseases and conditions. And that needs to change. So what we're trying to do, and what we are doing, we've launched a call out that is live at the moment. More information can be found on the NIA website and on our LinkedIn, how to apply. We're looking for solutions that can help de-bias scoring in the NHS, in maternity, sickle cell, and elective care. It's open until the 31st of July. It's in addition to our core NIA three-year program. And what we're after is mature solutions that can help address the problem. You, when you get selected through the NIA selection process, you get access to the seven ICS accelerator sites from BOLA's team. You get exposure, of course, as well, and you get fast-tracked um, to become an NIA fellow in January. You only need to do past the interview stage in January, and then you're in for three years. And there might be funding further down the route as well, without any promises made. But that stuff is where it becomes tangible, and we're really trying hard, me being the middle-aged white guy here, because I really realize that something is utterly wrong. How can it be mm. that black women are four times more likely to suffer serious complications or death in childbirth than white women? How is that possible? In 2023 in the United Kingdom, I don't understand that. You can hear my passion and frustration, but moaning is one thing, trying to change is another. Yeah, and we have to change. Like We, we cannot accept those as standard and normal. And I think that to hear that there is an initiative that is actively 
and very viscerally trying to to tackle that in a really meaningful way is is incredibly encouraging. And I I know that there are lots of you know innovators out there who would love to be involved in that program. I really encourage them to to apply and reach out and, and get stuck in. And really honestly, I am a big big fan of the work that Bowler is doing. And I just wish that I had a solution so that I could apply and, well, and work as part of that because it sounds like, yeah, yeah. I need to come up with something really soon. I've got a month. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think the, the work that, that she is doing and that I've already heard about, I think is is amazing. And I think, you know, there, there's so much opportunity and it's not even opportunity, it's we need to fix this. And it brings me back to actually something that you said earlier about the work that you're doing at UCL Partners and talking about how you come together around a problem or agreeing what a problem is. And from my point of view, I I, I think we get, and this is going to be a very bold statement saying this to you who has in the word innovation in your title. I think we get carried away with the word innovation it's become so meaningless and we it's it sounds glamorous and exciting and everyone wants to be an innovator and doing innovative things but we lose sight of the fact that actually we're here to solve problems and if our innovation is just doing something different for the sake of it what's the point and and we're in a situation now with the NHS where we have to come together around problems not just innovation for the sake of innovation and I think that's where these initiatives that you've just called out there and as you said um the, the National Innovation Accelerator and the work that Tony Young is doing with the Clinical Entrepreneurs Programme is so important because it's about solving problems rather than about getting distracted by innovation for the sake of innovation's sake. And why even, as you said earlier, having three options or three solutions to a problem and everyone gets to choose from those, I think, you know, in many ways could be a really good thing where, you know, otherwise we have lots of different just like op- options that we could choose from without really knowing which one is the best and yeah I, I do just think that innovation really has lost its meaning at the moment and I actually stood on a stage at an innovation conference and said that relatively bravely um the other day for good reason though I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and we have gone on a real journey of 75 years there so thank you so much for joining us today comrade um and sharing about all the work that is going on and what we have to be hopeful for so where can people find you if they want to find out more about the um the national the nhs innovation accelerator and the um initiative that you talked about just now yeah so um thank you so much jess and james it's been been really great to to be here today and, and of course it wouldn't work without all the teams that are working their socks off um, on all of this stuff i'm just a the guy they wheel out so the nia if you just google nia nhs you'll find the website um, and you'll find how to apply for this really short targeted innovation call um ucl partners um also worth check out uh, in terms of our strategy and where we want to go. We're open for business, working with industry and innovators. So um, come to us, come through LinkedIn. Um, The doors are always open. Thank you so much for having us.